I already lamented on Ash Wednesday that Lent is hard. But why is it hard? It's because whenever we double our efforts to draw closer to God, Satan doubles his efforts to keep us away. Which is why every year on the first Sunday of Lent, our reflection is all about temptation as we enter this season of Lent. So, temptation. First thing, temptation is not a sin. Temptation is just temptation. Just like when we talked about anger a couple weeks ago, anger is not a sin. What you choose to do with the anger can be sinful or it can be virtuous. It is the same thing with temptation. The temptation itself is not a problem. If it was, that would mean that today Jesus sins three times. But obviously that's not true. When we are tempted, we have a choice of striving towards virtue or of giving in and committing sin. Second, what is the nature of temptation? I'm always fascinated by Eve's conclusion after being tempted by the serpent in the garden. It's one sentence, but there is so much in that one sentence. What is her conclusion? After the, after the serpent tempts her, her conclusion with the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is that it's good for food, it's a delight to the eyes, and it's to, desire, to be desired to make one wise. Sounds like a pretty good and rational conclusion to me, doesn't it? It's good food, it's good to look at, and it's gonna make me wise. Those are three good things. So obviously there's something wrong in the way that she goes about it. See, when she concludes that it's good for food, she's making that in comparison to everything else in the garden. That it's about receiving pleasure from this food that she wants. When she determines that it's a delight to her eyes, it's her eyes that it's a delight for. It's her self-love and her conceit that are driving it. It's her love of things and being enamored by things over everything else. And then desiring it to make one wise is all about having power and control that if she becomes wise, then she will have an answer to every problem that confronts her in her life. What does she forget in all three conclusions? What is absent in every one of her rationalizations? God. Not once in any one of her conclusions does God become a factor. God has determined what was good for food and what was not not Eve. God has given what was supposed to be a delight for Adam and Eve, not Eve. And God is the source of their wisdom to determine what is good and evil, not Eve herself. And then you can even take time and reflect on where was Adam during all of this? God made man and woman to be together. So why did Adam leave Eve alone to be tempted? Both are equally at fault. But then the beauty of our liturgy is that we have this fall in the garden, the temptation of Adam and Eve, and mirrored today is the temptation of Jesus in the gospel. And in a very real and intentional way, Jesus' temptation 
overcomes Eve and her giving in to temptation. That the three ways that Satan strives to tempt Jesus is the same way that he tried to tempt Eve, right? When it comes to it is good for food, what is Jesus' response? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When it comes to a delight for the eyes, Jesus says, no, you worship the Lord your God alone and no other. And then when it comes to making one wise, throwing himself that, well, you know scripture. Scripture says that you won't be hurt. Don't put the Lord your God to the test because God himself and only him is wise. Jesus overcomes the temptations of Eve that she gave into and shows us the way through, which is to keep our minds and our hearts fixed on God. Then, how does temptation come to us? This is the nature of temptation. How does it come? Well, first, how does the gospel start? That Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert, and at the end, he was famished. Not hungry, famished. Satan doesn't come to us when everything is going well in our life and when we're all put together. He comes in the weakest parts of our life because that's when it's easiest to get us, right? He comes when we are angry, when we are lonely, when we are tired, when we are bored, when we are anxious. That's when he's going to come and tempt us. Or you can also think of it a few weeks ago, I threw the question out to you of what part of your life are you an atheist? Well, if you figured out what that part is, that's probably where Satan is going to tempt you. Because where God is not in your life, Satan's going to go, well, there's where I can sink my teeth in. He always gets us where we are weakest, which is why we cannot trust ourselves when it comes to temptation. We are not the ones to overcome temptation. That's what we are told in the gospel today. Jesus is the one who overcomes the temptations for us, who shows us the way by his grace. Even when an exorcist of the church is confronting someone possessed by a demon, the exorcist never engages with the demon. He calls on the name of Christ alone, because only Christ has conquered sin and death. No human being has. So when we face our temptations, it is not left to us to figure it out. That's not the way that God leaves us. He is there with the help of his grace to point us to him who has overcome temptation. But how often, if you think about times where you're easily tempted, does God ever even come into your thoughts when you're thinking through, should I do this or should I not? Probably not, because if God did, he probably wouldn't be overcome by it. Then in the gospel, Satan is given three different names or three different titles in this brief little passage, and they're all significant. First, he's called the tempter. The tempter comes to Jesus. The tempter is one who solicits sin, who draws in by a lie that's covered by a partial truth. How does he do this with Eve? Oh, you won't die. And in a way, he's right, isn't he? She takes from the tree. She doesn't die. Adam doesn't die. They're still alive after they eat from the tree. But what has died? Their relationship with God. 
the relationship with God that they had in the garden is no longer the same. Satan entices us in. If he just threw at us the fullness of where he wanted us to get to, every one of us would go, ooh, that's not very good. But he draws us in. He cons us into where he wants us to be little bit by little bit. The other title is that he is the devil. What does devil mean? Devil means accuser. That he wants to accuse us because when he can accuse us, he can isolate us. How does he do this with Eve? He says, did God say you couldn't eat from any tree? Are you so dumb as to believe that nothing here is yours to take? Look, it's right at your fingertips. Don't believe what God told you. The trap. To accuse us. To make us feel guilt and shame that separates us from God. And then finally, Satan. Satan means the enemy. He's the enemy of God. And so his one purpose, his one desire, is that he just make you forget God. In your moment of need, as long as he can make you forget that God is there, then he's won. He's pulled you away from the one who draws you through. Sometimes I like to think of it almost like a World War I battle, trench warfare, right? We've got our lines. You don't overcome an enemy all at once. All you want to do is push them back to the next trench and just gain a little bit of ground. And then once you've done that, then you try to gain the next trench and gain a little bit more ground. And that's what Satan tries to do in temptation, which is the reason why, one, we can't trust ourselves, and two, the reason why the feeling of guilt and shame isn't, can't be the only indicator for when we've sinned. Right? When we feel guilt and shame, we know we've crossed the line. We know that we've sinned. Absolutely. And that's important because that is there to make us run back to God. But it cannot be the only indicator of when I have done something sinful because Satan leads us past feeling guilt and shame for certain things after a while until we've allowed God to regain that ground in our soul for us. Because what happens if we just let guilt and shame be the indicator of whether I've sinned or not, then I fall into the same trap as Eve, which is I determine what is good to eat and what is not. That I have determined by my own wisdom what goodness is. And I have not let God determine what is good. And I have not let God show me what he wants me to become. I've put myself in the place of God. I've made myself my own judge if guilt and shame are the only indicator of whether I've done right or wrong. God is the one who leads us through, which is why we come to him in our need to show us the way. When we are famished, to say, Lord, I know I've sinned, but help me to know the sins that I am aware of and the ones that I'm not aware of so that you can properly lead me through temptation. Because what can happen is that it becomes the image of a moth into the flame. Why does a moth go into the flame? It's because moths are directed by the light of the moon. That's like their radar. And what happens is when they catch sight of the light of the flame, they mistake the light of the flame to be the light of the moon. And so it pulls them off course. 
And unless they're redirected back to the light of the moon, they go all the way to the light of the flame and die. God is the light of the moon. Satan is the light of the flame. And he just wants to distract us away from the moon long enough so that we can be drawn in to this other light that is not of God. Temptation is a real thing, and it's more complex than any one of us can hope to understand. It's not our fight. That's the gift of our Christian life. It's not my fight to engage in. It's simply for me, as a child of God, to turn to my Father and say, lead me through. Give me the grace and show me the way. Help me to never forget you in my time of need. Especially in the times where I am angry and lonely and anxious and tired and bored because I know the enemy will want to take me. This is the reason why our pillars for Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. What do we do when we pray? We are saying that only God is worthy of my worship, that this is my priority, is to keep God first in my life. Why do we fast? Because we're saying that God is the one who determines what is good for me. I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and I'm going to do something that makes that true for me. And why do we give alms? Because when I think that I can be self-sufficient in my life, I remember that my life is actually about others. By giving alms to others, I put myself back in relationship with others and back in relationship with God. This is why these three pillars exist. So in your own life, what you've given up for Lent, ask yourself, how does that contribute to when I am tempted leading me to God? Is your penance through Lent going to help you face your temptations differently? Is it going to contribute through prayer, through fasting, through almsgiving, to leading you when you are famished to look to God so that you can be the moth that looks to the moon and not to the flame, so that you can allow God to be the one who defends your line of battle and not let Satan overrun you. Because temptation will come. It always comes. It comes to Christ. It's what makes Lent hard. But we have one who has conquered sin and death.